The World Changing Women podcast is brought to you by the 2019 World Changing Women's Summit. Join us January 28th through 30th in Santa Cruz, California to nourish yourself, connect with other women in leadership, and elevate business. For more information and to claim your tickets, visit worldchangingwomensummit.com. That's worldchangingwomensummit.com. Hey there, podcast listeners. You can follow us on Twitter at WCWpod. If you haven't yet, we'd be so grateful if you could help us out by subscribing, rating, or leaving a review of this podcast. Thank you, as always, for listening. You're listening to the World Changing Women's Podcast, where each week we talk to badass female founders who've built game-changing brands that are making the world a better place. You think about the mad, passionate artist, right? And they're all of a sudden, they're just, or any musician who stays in the studio for, you know, 36 hours. And people are like, how do they do that? You do it when you have that alive, passionate idea. Like, you can't stop it. it it's like, it's like, it's inside of you. Can you even imagine what it would be like to embark on starting a new business after not one, but two personal bankruptcies? This was the situation facing Susie Batiz when she had the crazy idea for Poopery, which she has since built into a $500 million company. For those of you who aren't familiar with the product, it's a magical spray that masks the smell of your number two. But what's even more impressive than the product is Susie's journey of starting and growing the company. On this episode of World Changing Women, I sat down with Susie to hear about the importance of listening to yourself while building a business, the difference between resonance and dissonance in your work, and how she found her true calling in the darkest of moments when she thought she had nothing left to lose. I'm your host, Megan French Dunbar, co-founder and CEO of Conscious Company Media. Welcome to World Changing Women. I always tell people that my life is, if you put all the dysfunctional, you know, on a chart, if they say, have you had this dysfunction? Then I could check all those boxes. You know, <laughs> I had been through, you know, sexual abuse, you know, um, you know, I grew up in an abusive household, domestic abuse, a suicide attempt when I was young in an abusive marriage, two bankruptcies. And I really was at a point where I was really... Megan, I call it like hanging on by my fingernails. You know, I was running like hell and simultaneously hanging on by my fingernails. And it was really just pushing and striving because what I really believed is if I could be successful, if I could find that thing outside myself, then I was finally going to be at peace and be happy. And I had no idea the actual hysteria, you know, <laughs> that was going on within myself because I was just operating so fast and basically doing any idea that, that, that came up that sounded like a good idea. I'm selling stuff out of the trunk of my car. I always, always had a job and then had a side gig um, going on. You know, it's, I just knew if I could make it, then I was finally going to be happy. And then my second bankruptcy happened when I was 38 years old. And that was literally a drop to my knees, surrender place that I, you know, I, I just had no idea that actually could happen to me again. And I was embarrassed. I was ashamed. I, I lied to everyone in my life. You know, I lied to even my children and even told them that, you know, be, you know, cause I'd lost the house and the cars. And I told them that we had to move to, you know, closer to their, to their schools. You know, we worked too far away. And, um, 
that's just, I always tell people, imagine where you're at in your life when you lie to the people that love you unconditionally. And that's where I was. It was a really dark, dense place. And um, that was the beginning of, I literally dropped down on my knees in my living room, told God, like, I'm done. Um, Literally had that conversation. Um, I'd sort of abandoned religion, you know, early in my life. And I'm not overly religious now, but I am very spiritual. But I just had no connection. And I really said, like, I'm done. Like, I am not going back there. I have no idea what I'm doing. You might as well take me. I'm not going to kill myself, try to kill myself again because I have children and family. But you need to you need to just take me. You know, uh, I'm, I'm done. And I started a spiritual journey. And um, on that spiritual journey, um, I really became happy for the first time in my life. I mean, peace. And what I was happy with was money. You know, I'd always thought money was going to get me something. Like somehow money was my ticket out, you know, and that was the pushing and clawing. Like somehow if I was rich, then I was going to be happy. And then when I realized I didn't have anything and I found happiness and peace within myself without money, like I was free. I like totally free. I had zero desire for business and I wasn't even interested in business, you know, again. And. And uh, ironically, I say ironically, because it is the big irony that that's when the idea for Poopery came about. And I went at it different than I did business before. Before, it was pushing, striving, clawing, selling out, you know, doing anything to, you know, to, to, to get across the line. And this time, it was like I was being pulled towards something that lit me up and I was excited about. And uh, that was the beginning of, of Poopery. And I never even thought about it as a business. What I did, though, was I was compelled to create the product and invent it. It's like, can I get it to work? And I never thought beyond that. I thought, you know, my my passion and my uh, this desire within me was really experimental. You know, it's like I'm mixing oils and I'm just running around asking people, you know, hey, will you, you know, will you poop with this? And they're thinking I'm crazy. <laughs> But really, it was like, I know I can make this work. I know I can do it. And um, and then when it did work, of course, is when I wanted to share it with the world and knew it had to be shared with the world. It's like that big secret you can't just keep to yourself. So I came at business in a totally different way than I had prior to my bankruptcy, that second bankruptcy. So I hear you saying, you know, you were kind of being pulled into this and, I'm also curious for you, just when did you actually decide you were going to pursue it seriously? I know that I hear you say that, you know, you didn't necessarily think of it as a business per se when you began, but when did you know that you, you probably had a business on your hand to actually begin to pursue? Yeah. So about nine months in, you know, again, ironically, um, and I think it really was at nine months of me mixing and experimenting my um, husband at the time walks out of the bathroom and, and you have to understand our drill really was here's a new sample. Thank goodness. He pooped three times a day, you know, because <laughs> he had really, I'm like, who poops this much other than, you know, my husband at this time. But, um, I was always jealous cause I was the constipated one in the family. Um, probably cause I was so damn tense, but, um, <laughs> So anyway, he came out of the bathroom one day and, you know, I'm, I'm waiting outside to see if it, 
worked because this had been our drill for nine months. Um, and he holds the product up and he says, oh my God, we're going to be millionaires. And I said, what do you mean? And he said, do you realize what you've done? Like you've taken the smell out of shit. And that was his exact <laughs> words. And I was like, really? Like it works? And he goes, yeah. And I was like, oh my God. So that is when I knew that this was a business. Mm. Uh, but that was the first point. And that was, again, like nine months in. Um, and then I started, then I sent it out to a few friends because I was like, maybe we're just, you know, worn out and crazy. You know, <laughs> we've been doing this too long. And they all were just like, you know, oh my God, this is the best thing that I've ever seen. And um, and then I just really still no business plan, anything like, oh my God, I got to get a bottle. How do I get this made? I start making it in my kitchen. You know, I need to find a manufacturer and literally one step in front of the other. And the universe really, uh, to get a little woo woo on this all here, um, the universe really provided everything that I needed. You know, I would say, oh, I need a manufacturer. And then I would call someone up and they would say, yeah, we don't do that. And I would say, would you know somebody who does? They would say, yeah, call Bob over at so-and-so, you know, he can help you. And I just really stumbled my way into uh, creating a business that in the first year did a million dollars worth of revenue um, by word of mouth only. It's pretty incredible. That is extraordinary. Um, I, I am interested in in those first nine months, though. So mm-hmm. you ha- you kind of get this inspiration of an idea to take the smell of shit away, and then you mm-hmm. start what playing with essential oils. Like, was this something you had a background in? I, 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 like, I don't even understand how you in nine months successfully created a formula <laughs> for <laughs> poop spray. <laughs> Yeah. So uh, my, my hobby was essential oils. So whenever the idea like, can you trap bathroom odor um, was presented to me at a family gathering, I immediately had the hit. And what I teach like in resonance is that I had like a chill up my arm and it's like the room went in high def. And I just said, oh my God, I can do that with oils. For me, I just saw oil floats on water, right? And I knew with essential oils, because they smell, that I could do something. What I didn't know is it's actually more complicated than that. So I, I went home in my naiveness and started just mixing oils. You know, I took anything, you know, lavender and rosemary. And, you know, so what I started doing is really researching after that. I would start thinking, hold on, are there certain oils that will help control odor, not just float on the surface? And then I started narrowing down my list of oils, right? By just, you know, I guess it's what you do in a scientific study. You start off with, you know, 50 oils and I started narrowing it down. And what I realized is citrus oils are really effective. Um, But also there's some other things, you know, there's some um, bacteria that happens. So I really, it's not my nature to be a researcher, but what I tell people is when you have an idea that's alive enough, like you find yourself researching, you know, I found myself just Googling all the time. I'm on the internet just looking like, has anybody done anything like this? And what kind of oils would I use? And if I wanted something to float on the surface, you know, I didn't even know about emulsifiers. And I start finding out about emulsifiers and how can I use emulsifiers? And like, I was literally just like this uh, archaeologist digging within Google, you know, for this amazing information that I knew was out there. So I just, and I, every time I would get a little bit of information, I would come back and mix again 
And then that wouldn't work. It would almost work. I would go back, get more information, reconfigure my oil mixtures, bring it back and literally did that. I'm talking 14 hours a day for nine months. Like it was, it was my full-time job. You know, I, I had a design company that I was doing a few hours, you know, probably 30 hours a week, but every other moment was me being obsessed with this idea. Hmm. And that's when I, you know, you talk, you, you think about the mad, passionate artist, right? And they're all of a sudden, they're just, or any musician who stays in the studio for, you know, 36 hours. And people are like, how do they do that? You do it when you have that alive, passionate idea, like you can't stop it. it it's like, it's like, it's inside of you. So that's, that's what was happening. So I just kept researching my way and experimenting until I created magic. And so I heard you say, you know, you kind of felt your way through getting the business off the ground, but I'm curious if there's anything that you would have done differently at the beginning now that you can look down back on those early days with some hindsight. Wow. Um, I don't know if I would have done anything differently. It feels like it was just so perfect. Um, I mean, you know, hell, if I knew what I know now, right, about business, I, I, I do business differently. But really, it really was pretty perfect. You know, I, I create the formula, I buy a 1000 bottles, which was huge. But I really thought, well, hell, I'll just sell them out of the trunk of my car. You know, I'm not beyond that. I've done that before. So I bought a 1000 bottles. Um, I asked my 10 or so friends that had tried the product, would you mind sharing this? We built a, a little simple website and I asked, you know, my friends, would you mind sharing this with people, you know, because you've said that you love it and they did. And somebody called and said, Hey, I have a store. Would you be willing to sell to me? I was like, well, yeah. So I halved the price and sold to them. That was my first account. The next day after they, after I delivered them product, the next door called and said, Hey, my friend Harold over there bought some product. Can I buy it? And it literally was like that. And then one of my accounts said, you know, um, you need to go to market. And I'm like, what you need a sales rep. You need to go to market. I'm like, what's that? And they <laughs> educate. I'm, I'm, I'm serious. Like yep. this is how it went down. And I said, I don't know anything about that. And they said, well, you need, cause I'd never been in this industry. And they said, Oh, you get a salesperson, you pay them commission. And then you go to the show and there's one in a couple months. So then I went to the Dallas show and I'm at Dallas and I even had doubts when I, I, I set up in Dallas, I had this black, I have this booth with black curtains, this poopery sign that's real big. I have a toilet sitting on it with lemons outside <laughs> of it and my little bottles, right? And everybody is looking at me and laughing. And I look at my husband at the time and I'm like, we got to go. He goes, what do you mean? And I'm like, I don't know what we're doing. Oh. Like, <laughs> like we should, we don't belong here. Like we're a joke. And he's like, we paid for this. We're staying. <laughs> I tell him today, I'm like, you know, we're still in business because of you basically. But um, to always tell people, of course, you're going to doubt, you know? And of course we made more money than our, our goal was. And then somebody said, are you going to Atlanta show? And I'm like, when's that? And they said in two weeks. So I call, get on the phone, get a booth for Atlanta. Literally same thing happened about New York. And that is really the way it went the first year. And I can't imagine doing anything different because it was so magical. And you said that you guys did over a million dollars in sales in your first year on, on word of mouth alone. And yeah. I also heard you say, you know, you bought a thousand like right at the outset, how did you fund Poopery from the beginning? And also what type of fundraising have you done as you built the company? 
Yeah. So I've never done any fundraising. Um, my brother-in-law and I were partners when I first started the business and he um, and us invested $25,000. That was my initial investment um, that built the website and bought the thousand bottles and, um, you know, paid up just to set up the business. And that was it. And that's what I started with. And I haven't had a loan since and I've not had any investors and we're debt free. <laughs> Does every entrepreneur ever look at you uh, kind of jealously? <laughs> well, they they just look like, how did that happen? <laughs> like, yeah, it happened like that. Like, well, well, because you have to understand, like, I have never been, you know, since my bankruptcy, I'm like, I will not go back there, you know. And I have so many people. I just had a financial advisor in last week, and they're like, you know, if you would, you know, get some debt on the company, you could really grow it faster. And I'm like, oh, that word. No, you know, I don't want to do that. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I, I'm sure I could have grown a lot faster had I assumed debt, but I also didn't want that pressure. There's something that's been so beautifully organic and really strong about the way we grew. Um, because we don't have, we get to make pure decisions. We don't have to make decisions because an investor wants us to make sure the numbers hit because, you know, the, the banks are looking at you and breathing down your neck. That's where you can get really, and I'm, I'm not saying no to investment or no to loans. You know, I, I think people should do what they do, but I didn't want that added pressure. I wanted to really have Poopery be a, a really pure company and a pure brand. And then I, I bought my brother-in-law out six months um, that we were in. Yeah, he thought we needed to slow down that was growing too fast. And I knew we had something. So we sort of had a little tussle. I gave him the company. I'm like, here, you go run it. I'm not going to build it for someone that, you know, is a silent partner. And he said, well, I, I can't run it. I don't want it. And I was like, okay. So it ended up that I, I bought him out. So you mentioned the word growth. And I, I'm curious for you, in growing Poopery, what do you think has been kind of the most critical piece to growing this company to the size it is now? And, and actually, how long has it taken you to grow this company? It's been 12 years. So it's been a long time. Um, and honestly, the first 10 years were just like that first or the first eight years were just like I told you. You know, I was taking at the beginning, I was going down to the jungles in Peru for two weeks at a time. My Jeanette is the second employee that we ever had, and she's still at the company. And I would literally be like, I'm going to go down to the jungle. And that's when I was doing a lot of uh, shamanic you know, uh, medicine work. And I would say, and here's the keys to the place. And I'm not going to have any cell phone or Wi-Fi or computer or anything for two weeks. I'll be back. And she often laughs. She's like, do you realize that you would just leave us with the whole company? We had no idea what we were doing. <laughs> I'm like, yeah, it's kind of silly, right? So um, I was doing that. And then after I stopped doing that, I would take like 12 weeks vacation in Maui. So I, you know, had a multi-million dollar company and it was this easy world, you know, all the customers loved us and it was great. And then I had the idea for the viral video. Like I, I felt this kind of urge within me, like a very similar to if anyone has birthed out there. Uh, you get these kind of before you start, you know, having contractions, you, you just know like, uh Oh, we got to go like it's time. And I was having those sort of, uh, birthing contractions. And I realized like, Oh, this whole thing's got to change. Like we got to get on with it. Um, and that's when I did that first video. This episode is brought to you by CEO. SheEO is a radically redesigned ecosystem that supports, finances, and celebrates female innovators. 
CEO activators have contributed over $3 million in funding, which has been loaned to 32 separate ventures in three different countries. In the beginning of next year, CEO will announce another 23 ventures funded, bringing the total to over $5 million and 55 separate companies. Learn more about this year's CEO Venture Semifinalists and how being an activator is shifting the landscape for women entrepreneurs at CEO.world. That's CEO.world. This episode is also brought to you by Visit.org, a platform that makes managing your corporate social action programs efficient and seamless. With it, you'll gain access to social impact team experiences benefiting local ventures, build a fully customized giving back program, and use back office tools to increase productivity and match employee interests. Start giving back today with visit.org. I actually, I had the just privilege of seeing you speak earlier this year in Atlanta at a, at a great women's conference. And you talked about something that I, I know that you talk about a lot, which is the concept of resonance and dissonance. Mm-hmm. And you've mentioned it already on this on this recording. And I'm curious if you can just talk to us a little bit about your theory around that and how that has helped you lead your company. Yeah. So, um, gosh, I guess maybe about four years ago, um, one of my friends named Nick Askew called me and he has these wonderful videos called soul biographies. And he called and he said, what do you, you know, what he wanted to film me? And he said, what do you want to talk about? And I said, I don't want to talk about business. Like it's boring. He goes, yeah, I'm bored with it too. He said, what I want to know is how do you know which idea to follow? And I was like, wow, what a great question. So I would try to tell him like inside my body, like, well, I feel this pull and and I was trying to, and he's like, I have no idea what you're talking about. And I go, yeah, me either. So what I started doing is using my, um, using my business as kind of a, an experiment, like a Petri dish and kind of experimenting going, how do I know whether to follow that idea and how don't I? And I would start feeling and, and then I, I had this theory that ideas are alive. I was like, the ideas that feel alive within me seem to work out. And the one that's, I don't feel excited about that don't feel alive, don't work out. And is this just a coincidence? So I called, uh, Dr. Bruce Lipton, I emailed him and he was gracious enough to answer my, my, my call. And I asked him, I said, can an idea be alive? And he said, um, why do you ask? And I told him my theory. I said, I have a theory that the ideas I feel alive about are, you know, they, they work out better. And he said, everything is alive. Everything's an energetic vibration and every living thing is seeking more life force energy. I was like, Okay, that's radical and cool. (laughs) And then he said, and physics may explain some of this. And he taught me about resonance and dissonance. And resonance is when you have two energy patterns that are traveling together, but they're the same speed and the same wavelength. So they're alike, right? They're similar. When you put those two together, they create a larger energy wave together than they even do apart. Now, that's a key thing there, right? So what it means is you plus a resonant idea create more energy than you do even alone. So that's how some of the miracles of Poopery were pulled off at the beginning, right? And then dissonance is the opposite. It's like noise canceling headphones that when you put two energy waves together that are traveling at different speeds or different you know, wavelengths, those cancel each other out. So you literally have less energy than you did before. And I always tell people, you know, how people go, oh my God, this job's killing me or this relationship's killing me. That's the truth. 
because you literally had less life force energy than you did before you were even there. Um, so that's resonance and dissonance. And I started noticing, and when people go, that really resonates with me, you know, like we say that, like, oh, that feels so resonant, like listen to that and pay attention. And when you say like, oh my God, I can't stand this, this job's killing me, you know, this, this, I hate this restaurant, you know, I always feel bad. Every time I go to dinner with that friend, I feel like I'm going to slip my wrist. You know, you hear people say that. It's like, why are you doing that? You are literally giving away not even, you're not even in a neutral zone, like you're giving life force energy. And this is where some spiritual teachers talk about uh, energy vampires and those sort of things. I believe that's what they're talking about. It's just literally dissonance. It doesn't mean a person is bad or, you know, they're wrong. You know, some people, you know, it doesn't mean they're just a bad human. It means that it is literally just not resonant energy with you. So what I do and what I practice is I try to wait for those ideas that as a company that we're all excited about and we all, because those are like energy waves. When we can create that bigger wave, it just gets a little bit easier. Well, it gets a lot easier. So that's what I actually teach in the world is, uh, is how to really live within resonance and really realize what dissonance is doing to your body and, and into your, your entire being, your overall lively, livelihood, literally your life force energy, and to try to move as much dissonance as you can um, out of your life. And I'll tell you, I've had so many, I mean, Megan, so many, um, I've had people I had one guy at Conscious Capitalism and he wrote me like a year after I spoke and he fired his top client that was 50% of his business. And he was a multi-million dollar company, like 50% of his business. He said, I knew they were killing my company. I'm like, yeah, I've had people get divorced. I've had women come up and go, I knew it. I knew I need to leave my boyfriend. I knew I need to get out of my marriage. I knew it's killing me. It's like, yeah, it is. So I thought people are just not going to go to dinner, you know, and decide to take a bubble bath. <laughs> The people are really going for it, <laughs> which which I love. It's like, okay, do that. Um, so it's, it's a cool concept, and it's something that it's true. It does happen in physics. Everything is looking for life, more life force energy. What happens, though, is because of our the way we're raised and because of society, women especially are taught to override and compromise. Go to the party, honey, because if you don't, you're not going to be popular. All the girls are going to be mad at you. You know, like there's all these things that we think we have to do to please others. And, um, and those are where we get wonky. And I call it wonky world and it's dissonant. And what I found is when I'm in dissonance, things are just a struggle. It's literally like uh, sandpaper. And so when I told you about the beginning of my company, and it's kind of like Mr. Magoo, you know, it's like I would go off a bridge and then there'd be a, you know, a boat underneath. Like that, that is because the idea was so resonant with me that it's, it, it has this fluid um, energy that makes things easier. Hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I hear you like, oh, yeah. I love it. No, I, I love it. Yeah, and start paying attention, just experimenting with your life when you're in a meeting or when you're out to dinner. Like, is this a resonant environment for me? It could be even the environment. Is the place you're living resonant? It's like, you know, I feel depressed every time I'm in this apartment, you know? And it's like, well, move. You, you literally have to. 
Like you need to be doing anything you can to give yourself more life force energy. And you have permission to do that. One of the chapters in the book that I'm writing is called No. And it's, um, it's not personal. It's physics. Teaching women that, you know, it's not personal for me to tell you, no, I don't want to do that because it's just physics. <laughs> Isn't that fun? <laughs> Blame it on physics. As <laughs> I, so I saw you give this talk in early September, and I, I brought this concept of resonance and dissonance back to my team and have really been trying to, to pull this into my life as a CEO of my own company. And in talking to other kind of smaller scale entrepreneurs about this, I, I talked to a lot of female CEOs. I run a female CEO group. Um, and there's been this question that's come up a lot for me around, you know, like it, that sounds so nice to be able to be in a place of resonance, but I'm such a small company. I just have to keep the lights on. So I just have to keep doing what I have to keep doing. And I just have to churn through this. And there's like this immediate pushback sometimes from a lot of my female CEO friends around feeling like they, it's a luxury to be in a place of resonance and that dissonance is where they have to be in order to make a profit. And I'm just curious, kind of what advice do you have when people are more in survival mode of, I just have to make the next paycheck um, in terms of how do you tap into this resonance and kind of give yourself the space to believe that you can be in a resonant place as someone who's running a small business and kind of suffering through it. Yeah. And that's a very common belief is to, and that's where our mind tricks us. Like if I, you know, I have to keep struggling that right there is a core belief system. Now, the interesting thing about resonance is that it also, what you're going to be attracted to is basically what's going on inside of you, right? Um, so you have to actually clear some of those core beliefs. So I would really look at that person first of all, and, and ask if struggles a pattern in their life where what do you remember I told you my previous you know before my second bankruptcy struggle was 100% my pattern that's what I did I believed I had to do struggle begets struggle okay so we sell out and we compromise we take these shady deals or what we have to do to keep the lights on but then that is like um it's like if you've ever been skiing and tripped at the, you know, fall, fell at the top of the mountain and rolled down, which I've done before, <laughs> yes. you know, on, on way too big of a mountain, um, that's what it's like. And to catch yourself, sometimes you have to just stop, like literally stop and feel around and start chunking off. Um, it's like playing, um, what's it, Jenga? It's like playing Jenga. Start taking out the dissonant parts that aren't going to make the whole thing crumble. Mm. Does that make sense? Mm -hmm. And it might be, you know what, this customer that's only 5% of our business that I think I have to keep my lights on for is taking up 50% of our bandwidth, right? So when you start looking at really those dissonant uh, relationships. So let's just say if it's a vendor, if it's a, a supplier, or if it's someone that you're, you know, um, a company that, you know, you're selling to look at that. And what you're going to see is, is the amount of energy they take up, that energy can be used in a more positive manner. Hmm. So I would literally just start chunking off the little things and wiping off, you know, I'm pretty bold and I'll just wipe big things. Like we just did a campaign and it felt like a struggle and it wasn't working. So I was like, abandon it. Let's stop it. You know, let's start another one. So I'm pretty bold in it because I've been doing it for a while and I, and I still practice. I mean, this is a practice. This isn't like, you know, boom, you're all of a sudden resonant and your whole life 
it's wonderful. As you grow and evolve and as your business evolves, you're constantly going to be, you know, re reshifting and reevaluating. But that's what I would do. And I would actually start looking at their personal life. You know, are they in a relationship they love? And if they're not, how can they start getting out of that? Are there employees that are dragging them down that aren't load-bearing walls that they can sort of, you know, sometimes these pain-in-the-ass employees are, you know, like 1% and they're, you know, they take, you know, they cause all the drama. So I would really start looking at those truly dissonant places that you can pull out without the whole thing crashing. And then what you're going to find is more and more and more energy is going to start coming in. I love it. Resonance Jenga. Yeah, Resonance Jenga. I've never said that before, but that's what it's like. That's what it's like. Yeah. And I've been in those situations. Um, Yeah. And then sometimes you have to just pull the, the, the big thing, you know, like with my, uh, with my divorce, like I knew, like I literally felt like I was dying in my old house. And I finally, I kept trying to make it work, kept trying to make it work. And then at one point I literally had to go like, because my life force energy, my, you know, myself became more important to me than pleasing someone else. So those are the things you can start with baby steps and then you will start getting into the bigger moves that take a lot more courage. Thank you. Mm. Um, So you mentioned the word struggle and I'm curious if there's anything that you are currently struggling with right now in your role. Oh, yes. Actually, um, I have a new executive assistant and she was just on a call today um, with my president. And where I'm struggling right now is releasing control. You know, I've hired someone to run my company and this whole thing about, you know, it's my baby. Right. Mm -hmm. And I still get scared, you know, like something will happen. I'm like, ah, what just happened? You know, Um, so that's where I'm struggling is really like, can I can I put myself in more resonant situations when I know that is, I mean, even that phone call, it's so dissonant for me. Like I know that, like I don't even want to have that phone call. And yet I still see those old patterns. So as a matter of fact, what my practice is today, I go into, I have a a therapy appointment this evening and that's what I'm going to work on is like still releasing control and, and going what's what's happening there with me. Um, so that's where I'm in struggle is, is learning how to operate differently. I know how to operate as CEO, as the mother, as the one that's on the ground running it. What I'm learning to do is how to let someone else run my baby. It's a big difference. Can I ask why you made the decision to bring in someone else to run the baby? Because it's dissonant for me. Yeah, uh, yeah it's just a lot of stress for me. Um, that's when I started realizing, like, I kept feeling myself drained at the end of the day, where I'm most, uh, where, where I'm going in my life. Um, also another thing, Megan, you should know is when you start really practicing this, your tolerance level becomes, um, you get more sensitive. Mm -hmm. The things you used to tolerate, you can't anymore. Okay. Because you're aware. So, um, you know, it's almost like it becomes like sandpaper on silk, (laughs) 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 which is a good thing, but you really become more. So what I was noticing is like in, you know, in these real heavy, heavy pushing strategic meetings that I would have sometimes, you know, with my executives or a lot of times that they're just not 
it's just not resonant with me. It's not what turns me on. What turns me on is creativity and ideas and having visions and playing and exploring. That's what turns me on. So that's why I decided to bring someone in. Thank you. Um, so I'm curious about in terms of practice, what does your daily routine look like? And if you have any practices that serve your own personal sustainability? Yeah, I have a lot of practices. So I get up around 5.30 a.m. And the first thing I do is make a cup of tea because tea is sacred. And then I meditate. Those two things are non-negotiable. So I don't care where I'm at. Like tea, meditation, I carry tea with me. Um, and then I do some sort of writing or reading or some sort of creative brainstorming work of things that I've been working on for about an hour. And then I either do, I alternate between yoga and then like a HIIT training, you know, like a CrossFit. Mm-hmm. I, have, I have trainers come in. I've, this morning I did yoga. Um, so I have a yoga instructor from 730 to 830. And then I um, take a bath and get ready. And then I'm ready for my day. So I'm usually in the office by 10. So I pretty much had a full day every morning before I even hit the office. Excellent. Um, So for you, I'm curious if there's a piece of leadership advice that you've gotten so far that has kind of rocked your world or something that you carry with you. You know, I recently um, was talking with, I have another key secret to success, I believe, is I've always had personal development coaches. Um, So I work with a therapist all the time. I love this. The reason is I love the not biased, you know, just a person you can just bleh to, you know, I think that's good and not to do that to family or friends. And um, then I usually have some sort of uh, at least a couple of coaches, whatever I'm working on. Like right now I have a coach, his name is Brandon Hawk and he's a, a, more of a leadership coach, but it's not from traditional business. He really, it's a personal development leadership. And he actually told me something the other day about how we lead from core wounds and what that looks like. And I was fascinated with the conversation. And he said, when you're not leading from a core wound, you're not worried about accountability. The way you come at people is from the place of, are you doing your best? And if you're not, how can I support you? And I thought that was so good. Um, and I haven't led like that. And it was pretty eye-opening for me to, to hear. And here I go this morning on a conversation about accountability. So it's all a learning and growing process. You know, I don't believe that we're all ever perfect. And we're just all trying to make it, you know. Um, I'm just, I just do a lot of work trying to, trying to make it as good as I can. Mm-hmm. So you might have actually spoken about a few of these already, but I'm curious if you can tell us about a life-changing moment that you've had on your journey. Uh, one that I do want to talk about, it doesn't have anything to do with business, but it does kind of, was my marriage. Um, I was with my husband for 26 years and we have an incredible family and he is such a sweetheart. And I had just been on a really big spiritual path and we can say a lot of things like, oh, I, you know, we grew apart, we, whatever. But I remember the moment that I chose, I actually get a little emotional this, I chose myself 
over what my husband wanted, what my family wanted, and what I may have looked like in society or for, you know, I could look like it, that I gave up, that I stopped trying, that I, and I remember that pivotal moment within myself where I, I don't know, I actually feel teary. Yeah. Like where I choose me, you know? Yeah. And, and how often do we choose ourselves? And, um, and that was really hard because I, I still love him and he loves me. He was over here this morning. Like we're amazing friends. We have an amazing family and to navigate those waters with a family that's so tight. I mean, I'm talking, we have a very tight family. Um, we've been through a lot together. We've done a lot of spiritual journeying and spiritual healing. And if people ask me what's the one thing I'm most proud about in my life, it is not business. What I am most proud of is the way I navigated the divorce and the way that my children say they feel like the luckiest people of divorced parents. Um, yeah. Thank you for sharing that. Um, so now that you can kind of look back on this 12 year poopery journey, but also the entire journey, um, what, if you were able to distill down three pieces of advice for business leaders, what would they be? Three pieces of business advice. Number one, you don't have to know what you're doing. And if you'll be open and ask questions and trust, you'll figure it out. The more you figure out, the stronger your figure out muscle becomes. Keep doing that. The and, and with that, the flip side is the more you seek outside advice and require that outside advice, the weaker you're actually getting internally. Hmm. That's another thing. Um, it's good to hear the advice, but you take it and you feel in yourself what you believe is, is possible. Don't ever do anything because somebody says you have to do it. Um, that's the second piece. And the third piece of advice I would give is... Make sure you're passionate about it. If you're not, quit and, and find something else, you know, um, because you're going to be more lit up. The world's going to be more lit up. And I truly believe that we need more lit up people. That's how we're going to change right now is for us to stop doing what everybody thinks we should be doing and all of us to be more engaged in what turns us on. Think about just like a dimmer of a light. Even 10% of the people were doing that. Like there'd be a lot more light in the world. And that's what we need right now. I love it. Um, so you, you mentioned the thing that you're most proud of in your life right now. I'm also curious, what is the thing that is most important to you in your life right now? What's most important to me in my life right now is integrity. Um, really me being fully integral. My mentor, Gay Hendricks, is one of the highest integrity people I've ever met. And when I say full integrity, like if, you know, you're talking to him and if he's bored with the conversation, he will excuse himself. There's no, uh, like it sometimes people just look like, what just happened? And I'm like, yeah, he got bored. I mean, he's gone. Like he's that in integrity within himself that he won't uh, compromise that integrity in order for how he looks with someone. And he's a, he's a super kind human. Um, but I, that is what's most important to me is to, remain in integrity and if I don't to clean it up as soon as possible and I and I still do that daily you know it's like oh crap you know like the phone conversation I had this morning you know with my president I'll, I'll loop back around and be like wow here's where I was coming from you know so I will go back and clean up and that's also an act of integrity 
Uh-huh. Like we, we, we're going to make mistakes, but you know, how can we uh, clean it up as we go? And, and hopefully that gap just gets smaller and smaller. And final question here. I'm just curious, what is giving you hope for the world right now? Mm. I love all of the change that's happening right now. I love seeing all of um, women, you know, that have got elected into office. It's easy to look and say, oh, we're, we're not having change. I was, you know, a little depressed after the, the midterms for just a minute. And then I actually saw all of the, the, the change that's really happening. And um, I don't think women should be running, you know, the world, but I do believe in balance. And I believe that we're coming back in balance. And I actually have a lot of hope. Um, I, I believe that we are moving towards, I believe the, my God, the younger generation, like they're just fast and smart and like on it, you know, they're, they're, they want to wake up, they're more conscious. There's just a million things to be hopeful for. So I feel like we're in a really rebirthing time. And I'm excited about that because we need to change some shit because it's not working. Amen. <laughs> Somebody the other day called me a perennial. I'm like, what's that? And they're like, it's a person your age that thinks like a millennial. I'm like, okay, I'm a perennial. <laughs> Each season, I keep coming back up. <laughs> so that's what I am. Is I, I feel like that right now. I feel like I'm one of those in the forefront going, come on. Yeah, let's go. Let's change. Screw all what we've done before. Let's Let's shake this up. A huge thanks this week to Susie Batiz and the whole team over at Poopery, as well as to our wonderful production team at StoryPop Media and the whole team at Conscious Company Media. Thanks so much. Hope to see you next week. The World Changing Women's Podcast is brought to you by Conscious Company Media. If you like what you're hearing, we'd be so grateful if you could help us out by subscribing, rating, or leaving a review of this podcast. As a reminder, don't forget to follow us on Twitter at WCWPod. Join us next week for an interview with another world-changing woman. And thank you, as always, for listening. A StoryPop Media Production.